How do I get myself to work my butt off? What drives me to do what I do? How do I find my passion? These are questions that I find myself grappling with more and more. I don't think I told you in former episodes, but I'm an independent producer, if that's even the right title for it. I'm the engine behind both content creation and marketing for this podcast. Thanks to my supporters who have a keen eye for detail and volunteered to look over my writing and provide feedback. Your input is always appreciated. I didn't push out an episode last week because I decided to experiment with something different. I was working on writing a book before this podcast, but I haven't been working on that, or for that matter, doing much of anything else since I started the podcast. So in my attempt to do something different, I underestimated the time needed for me to adjust back to writing fiction. Having taken a month off from working on my book, I didn't realize how long it would take to get back to it. Writing nonfiction, which is what these episodes are, is so different than writing fiction. The formatting is different, the verb tense is different, so I thought, screw it, all of this is my work. I have the power to say what I'm ready to publish. If you haven't checked out part of my short story, it's archived in a new category called fiction. You can find it on my website at ivanahe.com, I-V-A-N-A-H-E dot com. But let me go back to the question of what drives me. Here's why I write fiction, particularly directed towards young adults. Having been a middle school math and science teacher, I've had the pleasure of re-experiencing the horrible phase of being in middle school. Elementary school is generally awesome. You have one teacher for all of your subjects, and he or she knows your name. When the next subject comes around, you don't need to move anywhere. You just pull out your next workbook and bam! You just switch from language arts to math. You hang out with your friends during recess and you get pulled out of normal class for music lessons. Awesome. Then comes middle school. Now you have different teachers for each class and subject. They don't remember your name because they see over a hundred students over a course of a day. In the teacher's defense, having had a couple hundred of students now, I've finally experienced that guilt of drawing a blank when looking at a familiar face. For any students listening, I know it feels just as awful on the other end. I've seen the disappointment on your faces. Then there's lockers. When and how are you going to use your locker while also arriving to your next class on time? How do you drag your tired little body from PE to pull through a flight of stairs to your next class? And then there's the steep learning curve of making friends because there are a lot more students and a lot less time. Socializing at school is squeezed into lunchtime. Yes, just lunchtime because some genius decided that recess is for elementary school. But what happens if you can't stick around after school to grab milk tea with your friends? What happens if you need to attend art lessons or go straight home to take care of your siblings or grandparents? What happens when you have to go home to crappy internet and therefore fall behind on social media? How do you develop friendships then? I haven't even gotten to all the possible scenarios to why students would struggle with schoolwork. This could go on forever. But the point that I'm trying to make is that the learning curve is steep in many areas. It takes a serious toll on self-esteem. If you had the chance to read my recent post, part one of To Be Titled, you're right. Real middle school kids don't generally talk like the characters in my story. However, middle school kids are a lot smarter than we often give them credit for. 
so I think they deserve to feel that they are. For the next two episodes, I'm going to talk about motivation and inspiration. I started this podcast with an episode on storytelling. What makes a good story? And then I ended that episode with what I didn't realize until now, a cliffhanger. What's your story? I aim to show you how everyone's story is related to motivation and inspiration. Your own story reveals what your passions are. Before I dive into someone else's expertise on this subject, I want to tell you something that I've learned recently. Most people don't really know their own story, at least not to the point where they can put it into words and share it with somebody else. They probably could tell you some vague and short version of it, but never to the extent of full clarity for themselves or for others. Why is that? Why is it so hard to tell our own story, let alone know it ourselves? In a recent catch-up with my friends, I attempted to tell my story for who knows how many times. These are friends who I've known since high school. When I told it in a version that was as raw as I could have understood it from my perspective, I cried. I didn't care that there was a whole restaurant of people watching. I cried until I felt like my heart had emptied out. And in retrospect, I realized that the heart-wrenching part of that experience was why I had never told my story to that extent. I also didn't realize how painful it was to talk about. As much as I want to share the raw events in my life that shaped who I am today, a full version of my story is going to hurt people who I still care about and myself, so I'm not going to tell it again to that extent. It really wasn't until I shared my vulnerabilities that I opened a door for my friends to share their stories. I learned that I didn't know my friends as well as I thought I did. I discovered that their actions and lifestyle choices were driven by reasons that I didn't know about. And then it hit me. Stories stem from very emotional experiences, ones that we don't always like to revisit. While transparency is often awesome and rooted for, it's not something that everybody is ready for, and that's okay. I learned that I needed to be just as open-minded and patient with those close to me as I had been with my former students. With limited knowledge, our perspectives are limited. Our self-confidence will often fight for the spotlight and will prevent us from remembering how limited our knowledge is and therefore make us poor listeners. This is a battle that we must continue to fight. Here's a quick summary to that spiel. By allowing myself to be vulnerable, I discovered that there's always more that I can know about a person, even if it's someone I've known for a really long time. We need to stay open-minded and patient, because narrow-minded thinking only limits our understanding of those who we think we know. Let's go back to the main purpose of this episode. How do we become inspired and motivated? Simon Sinek provides a useful framework in his book called start with why. He also gave a TED talk based on the book called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. The gist is that leaders don't start by telling you how awesome their product or service is, they tell you why any of this was created in the first place. In the same way, when you're talking about yourself, you also want to start with why. 
Simon illustrates the concept using what he calls the golden circle. This is a bird's eye view of a cone that parallels to the structure of an organization, as well as the human brain. The three sections are why, how, and what. Most people sound like this when they try to sell you something. Check out my awesome product. X, Y, and Z are the reasons why it's awesome. They start with what the product is and how it's made before touching on why they made it, if they ever get there. In his TED Talk, Simon suggests that we need to reverse the order of this typical pitch. Instead of starting with what the product is, start with why the product was created. He tells us how Apple does this. They start with why before they tell us how they do what they do and what their product actually is. Here's how Simon put it. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we challenge the status quo is by making our products beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly, which has happened to make great computers. Want to buy one? Let's see how this model is applied on the organizational level. Steve Jobs was the visionary behind Apple. He told people why they were creating the products. Steve Wozniak was the technical genius showing his team how to create the products. Simon then goes on to explain why people are selective in responding to this model over others. He says it's biology. He draws an analogy between the what part of the golden circle to the neocortex. The neocortex is the part of our brain that is responsible for language and all rational thinking. The limbic parts of our brains are represented by the middle two sections of the golden circle, the how and what. The limbic system is responsible for feelings and behavior. It's also the driver of decision-making behind gut feelings. It's responsible for our hesitation after having concluded that every aspect of a product that we're considering buying is awesome. Our limbic brains make us go like, uh, before, okay, I'll buy it. Simon emphasizes that people don't buy what you do, they buy what you believe in. Why do we love startups so much? Why do people who work in startups feel more energized and seem to have crazy levels of productivity? And why do we not see this in larger organizations? Perhaps it has to do with communication being easier. Founders of early stage startups can build and maintain relationships with their employees. In fact, the founders have to. We constantly remind employees why they do what they do, which is hopefully aligned with why they joined the team in the first place. It certainly isn't the money or the speculative stock options that could end up being worthless. 90% of startups fail. In contrast, the lack of productivity frequently found in larger organizations is often caused by the person at the top becoming less in touch with their employees as the company grows. Companies get caught up with delegation to mid-level managers. With growing organizations, there's a higher possibility that these mid-level managers' values do not always align with the CEOs. It's like playing a big game of telephone, where the people in the middle of the chain are apathetic and just coasting. The next thing you know, there's an inconsistency in values, a huge driver in the crumbling of an organization. Here at A Writer's Journey, it's a little different. It's a one-person operation. 
so there's no telephone game to worry about internally. My focus, instead, is on communicating outwardly to you, my listeners. I try to put myself out there and share pieces of myself, hoping that these stories resonate with you and inspire you to pursue what you really love. If they do, write a comment or send me a message. I'm Ivana, and I'll be back soon with more adventures from A Writer's Journey.